Good morning, everybody. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Top of the morning. Glad you're really excited about that, I can tell. I thought if being uh, in green makes you Irish, uh, I thought I'd wear green. This guy must be really Irish. <laughs> I quoted Yoda so many times, for those of you who don't know, I've been given like 5,000 of them. And uh, this is one of them. I thought maybe I could get him to speak in Gaelic. But I actually am Irish. Uh, more than 50% and a bunch of my family, yeah, actually. And St. Patrick's Day is really not supposed to be about an opportunity to get drunk. It really was uh, commemorating a great missionary of Christianity to England. I don't know if you know that, and uh, to Ireland, rather. Uh, and he had been a slave and got converted. And if you haven't read about it, you should sometime. And some of the mythologies, he drove all the snakes out of uh, Ireland, but we don't know if that's true. But we do know that he captured all the leprechauns and locked them up. So, in the name of Jesus, he did that. Well, good morning. I'm glad that you're here today. Um, there are a few things I want to talk about as we launch in. It's a, a kind of, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous because it's kind of a special day uh, today. I uh, want to welcome you first. If you're visiting with us, uh, I know we have some new folks, and I'm glad you're here, and uh, not everyone that I've met yet. I thought it might be appropriate just to say, what are we doing here? Or, to quote a famous person, hmm? I wonder, why are you here? <laughs> why are we here? Well, really, people have gathered together in assemblies of believers for 2,000 years because they're on a journey as followers of Jesus, right? And that's why we gather. We hope to be coached and helped along in our journey as we try to follow him. And we invite anyone in the room who has never become formally his follower to do so. And we'd be happy after service to talk with you. Our leaders would be up front, etc., and... Uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you if you have questions, and there's no dumb questions. Ask all the questions you possibly can. As I've learned multiple times, there is no such thing as a dumb question except the one you're choosing not to ask because somebody else is wondering the same thing. You can almost bet on it. So the church and its leadership for 2,000 years have been serious about trying to educate and coach and help the saints along in their journey. We're not a club. We're not just here to have social times. We're really each one trying to engage in this relational journey with this person named Jesus, who, by the way, is still alive. He's alive. And he's the one that we follow and we've been singing about today. And sometimes the church deteriorates a little bit into what we would call dead ritual. Some of us have experienced that. Sometimes even in good Bible teaching churches, it feels like that at times. And then at other times, the church is lively. And by the Spirit's power and the illumination of the Word, life is given. And I hope that um, as we move along together as saints in this assembly, I can impart some life. And uh, we can speak life to one another. Amen? Amen? That's what we should do. How is your son doing? Oh, he's better. Okay, I'm glad to hear it. I'm sorry he's not here. I'm mad at him. Uh, no, I'm kidding. 
So uh, Eli was very ill, right? Didn't know what was going on. What's that? Oh, that's ill. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, Gerald, need to pray for him. Gerald's schoonmaker, right? And, um, and I'm going to pray right now. And there was somebody else. Oh, my secretary, Jody. She had surgery this last week. How could I forget? Yes, ma'am. Your dad as well, Mr. Zwart. Yes. What's that? Okay. Can we pray together as saints? Let's do that. Our lives are in your hands, Lord. And we thank you that we have, through faith in our Master Jesus, connected with the author of life. You're the one who is sovereign. You're good. You know the end from the beginning. You order our steps. Those of us who have been blessed with grace have learned how to trust you in the midst of all this kind of thing. And we have brothers and sisters, I know, and there's others that we haven't mentioned, but we pray for these specifically, for your healing, for your help. For Gerald, Lord, thank you that he's done a little bit better today, and and we're asking for you to continue that progress. We are believers that your hand of authority, the goodness that you've given us in medicine, we're grateful, but we acknowledge that we need more than that. And whether people give you thanks or not, the fact is that when you allow that healing work to happen, those natural processes that you have given us in this physical universe, even that is a gift from you. And so grant, Lord, that those processes would work. And then for our saint brothers and sisters, uh, we pray, God, for that extra working of the Spirit, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, you said that that can quicken our mortal bodies. And we ask for the quickening of our friends' mortal bodies. Mr. Zwart, Gerald, uh, our sister Jody, Lord, and Eli continue, and all of those uh, who are facing physical opposition. We pray for help. We thank you that we can come to you. And Lord, this conversation with you right now, this prayer, is another reminder that we are in the body together as fellow journeyers. Those who are trying to learn how to live it out in spite of the physical oppositions, the emotional, the cultural, whatever it might be that can push back against us. Jesus, you're more powerful and you are victorious. We need a little of that dribbling down into our souls. Would you help us today? Help us to hear from you. Guide us by your spirit. Enable your uh, servant who has limitations to have those limitations out of the way. As the old saints used to pray, hide me behind your cross. Holy Spirit, speak to your people. Lift us up and let us see Jesus. Boy. Do I need to see you regularly? It's in your great name that we pray today. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Well, past generations, as they uh, studied the word of God and gathered together in church services like this, it was the habit, at least especially since the time of the Reformation, but even the Catholic divines way back, 
would bother themselves with exegeting Scripture. Has anybody ever heard that word, exegesis? Well, you're going to hear it today, okay, because she said she hadn't heard of it. So exegesis means to unpack what is found in the Scripture. Like sometimes people, they want to prove their point, so they find in the Bible what they want and say, yeah, this is what it says. That's called eisegesis, the Greek word for putting it into instead of taking it out. Exegesis means you take it out. So exegesis and expository preaching were the order of the day. And when I went to seminary, that, that which was like 100 years ago, I'm just checking to see who's awake here. And, and you're going like, yeah, that sounds about right, Pastor John. About 100 years ago, we were trained in trying to do exegetical expository preaching. Now, I have to admit, I, I've wondered whether it's dead in our culture today, even in the church. It's like, do we have the capacity for it? And uh, I see some preachers on television who still do that, and they have a following, and they have, you know, lots of cards and letters coming in, folks, and all that, so it must work. So I thought I'd give it a shot. What do you think? No, you know, seriously, I was so pleasantly surprised when I was debating do I want to do this next series or not? And people were saying, when are you going to start it? When are you going to start it? So I was kind of encouraged and uh, spurred on, if you will, that maybe that's a good thing. So let me put the title up and where we're going, Better Things. Is anybody thinking of an FX series by any chance? But anyway, a study in the book of Hebrews. Whoa, Hebrews. Yeah, exactly. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. When I, was a, um, when I was in school and my wife was with me in seminary, we took a trip to Japan. And when we went to Japan as short-term missionaries, we fell in love with several of the missionaries. And one of them in particular, his name was Jim Weber. He's with the Lord Jesus now. Started a camp in northern Honshu, the main island. And, um, and he uh, was... They became Aunt, Aunt uh, Dottie and Uncle Jim to us. And so they were just really the kind that live it out and warm and you, you know, attractive type of Christians. And so they were special to us. One of the things he said to me, he had grown up in a place where I had later ended up in Tucson, Arizona. He had grown up in downtown Tucson and had been trained in the ministry of First Baptist Church of Tucson, Arizona, which was a church-planting, lively assembly that flourished and became way back then. We're talking way back, you know. Uh, one of those large-type churches that is a gravitational pull for people. The pastor, R.S. Beale, had so carefully trained, and this man was not perfect, trust me. I ran into him and heard him on an occasion, uh, Hard to believe that a preacher would have quirks, right? Hard to believe. I don't know any preachers with quirks. Yeah. And uh, he had some, but he thoroughly trained his people in the word. And Jim Weber said this to me. By the time I went to seminary, I already had the equivalent of a Bible college education from sitting in the pews under R.S. Beale. Now, I got to tell you, I think that man will gain his reward. I think it was the right thing. That always stuck with me and uh, has been one of my desires is that enough 
Bible truth is communicated from here to there. But maybe that's one of your future goals as well after my demise. You know, you keep that in mind, that that's really what the church has been trying to do for 2,000 years, to help the saints on their journey in following the Lord Jesus. When you start a series, especially with a book like Hebrews, oftentimes in preaching, you front load it with a lot of introductory information. In other words, you need to know a little bit about this book. I'm going to totally let you down today. I thought, I'll just spread it out in the series rather than try to front load you with a lot of boring info. You know, okay, you know, here's the typical questions. Who wrote the book? When was it written? Who was it written to? We don't know any of those answers. Isn't that encouraging? So why waste time right now? We'll talk about it as we go. But the point is, there are some things we need to be aware of as we press in to looking at this book. Here's an interesting thing. Later in the end of the book, it just kind of launches, we'll see that in a few minutes, just launches into truth. And then at the end, it says the catalog of the book, what is he calling it? The author is saying this is an exhortation. Listen to these words. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written you briefly. Briefly. 13 chapters briefly, which I thought was extremely funny since it's like the third longest epistle in the New Testament. You know, Romans is huge, 1 Corinthians is huge. This one tithes in terms of chapters with 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is longer, 2 Corinthians, and I don't even know in exact verses which one's the longest, but it's huge. Now, the reason I'm saying that is just to give you a warning. I taught on Ephesians in one of my previous ministries. I've told you about this. It took me over two years to preach through six chapters. This is 13 chapters, so you're going to have to double it plus a couple of more months to cover the 13th chapter. So my calculations tell me about June of 2023, we should be done with the book of Hebrews. Is that all right? Who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. So here comes the best part. Why the title? Better things. Why the title? I'm not thinking of this. The FX, I got a picture here from uh, TV. Have you seen this uh, FX series? Single mom, actress, uh, trying to make her way. And um, I read the paper, as you know, and one of the um, guys that, uh, what do you call it? Uh, what do you call it? Columnist, McDonough. Yeah, it's a columnist, right? He makes. I have to ask my wife. She's the boss. If if, if I'm wrong, she tells me. Um, Kevin McDonough writes about better things. Every time a new season of Better Things comes along, I'm reminded that I don't watch it. <laughs> now, by the way, columnists can be dead wrong. I've had a lot of, you know, you read things, they say, oh, this movie was terrible, and I watch it, and I go, I liked it. I maybe, maybe it's my problem, you know? So everyone's entitled. If you watch it and you like it, this is not about whether you're right or wrong. That's ridiculous. But here's his point. It's been praised for an unflinching, unflinching glance at single motherhood and the trials of an older woman trying to find work and respect in an industry, entertainment, unnaturally even indecently besotted with youth. In other words, she's already out 
out to pasture, if you will. She's not a big star, but a minor player in a town dominated by celebrity pecking order. She's always auditioning for a new gig and suffers all the humiliation that that entails. At the same time, she lives in a nice big house that's filled with art, accoutrements of style, if not wealth. So if it's about single motherhood, this is not very realistic already, if you know what I mean. She is, as they say, comfortable, so I find it a tad heavy-handed in the self-pity department when the season three opener concludes by comparing the burden of her existence with the exhausted lives of the characters in A Raisin in the Sun. It's just straight up. A mother of teens and tweens, Sam seems to rival them in the self-absorption department. The first five minutes of the season opener consist of Sam staring at the mirror. You can like it. It's okay. That's just his opinion. But what stuck out to me was the staring in the... That's the one video clip I did see. Staring in the mirror, trying on on the clothes. You know what happens when we get older. They just don't fit. And all of that going on. Staring, looking at it. She is like everybody else, ultimately. We're all hoping for a better gig, a better job, something better, right? Hoping for a newer opportunity, a newer employment, a more satisfying relationship, a winning lottery ticket, something, right? We're all hoping for what? Better things. The difference for us is that rather being self-absorbed and staring in the mirror, which gets pretty hopeless, by the way, you start getting a lot of wrinkles and stuff, that you really don't want to do that, is to rather than be self-focused, is to be in another direction. Instead of staring at myself, looking at something that's better, that is more helpful, that is more exalted than what I'm experiencing. Self-indulgence versus Jesus indulgence, if you will. That's my explanation, because I believe the entire book of Hebrews is shoving Christians toward looking at him rather than the circumstances, rather than ourselves. And I want to tell you from personal experience, it really does work. It really does. And usually I'm in trouble when I'm not looking in the right direction. So, Uh, All that just to point to the fact that we're not going to find the help in ourselves. By the way, the video, the the, uh, screen that we have, uh, can we go to the next one? That one. Better things. If you can read the bottom, I don't know if you can. This is the theme. Now he has obtained, this is chapter 8, he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant and has been enacted on better promises. The word better comes out so many times. By the way, can I just point out, that's the Ark of the Covenant. Indiana Jones did not invent that. (laughs) I just want you to know that it didn't start with Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, as cool a movie as it was. Isn't it fun how people react differently? You know, people saw, I had brothers and sisters in my church who saw the first uh, Indiana Jones. They find the Ark of the Covenant. They go, oh, terrible movie. That was blasphemous. I said, I thought it was awesome. <laughs> See why I don't agree with McDonough every time? You know? <laughs> I thought it was awesome. Why did I think it was awesome? Indirectly, as Hollywood would do it, they get it wrong, of course, you know. 
See, people, we, we tend to think, oh, it's not biblical. Well, of course it's not. It's coming from Hollywood. What do you expect? What I loved about it, though, is the bad guys get it. And they get it because they look into the holy of holies, which no human being has the right to do. Wow, boom, poof, they all get blown away. Coolest section of film ever. <laughs> Can't show it to the kids, you know what I mean? But it was great. Just love it. Now he has obtained a more... You now, God invented this. You know, this came from God. It was the representation of the place, the mercy seat under those wings of the cherubim, where God would literally speak to Moses, speak to the high priest. Can you... I don't know about you. If you believe what I'm saying, I have goosebumps. Literally, right now, I do. Just thinking about that. Can you imagine being in the Holy of Holies and, you know, the dark and the smell of the incense and all, and all of a sudden right from, right, I don't have my laser, right under the, you hear, Moses. It's got to sound like Earl, James Earl Jones, right? It's got, it's got to sound, but, but literally, can you imagine? It's too bad God can't do any of that anymore. I don't know, I, this is a sidebar, but I realize it's, I only got two more notes here and I'm going to be done and it's too early to go home, so, no, I'm kidding. Um, the man who uh, discipled me as a brand new Christian, I've mentioned him before, Frank Frost, he was ordained to the ministry at 72 years of age. He was a lay preacher had three kids, all went into full-time Christian service. I have the sneaking suspicion they were doing something right in that home. He literally, I would, I would go and mooch lunch off of him on a regular basis. Just show up at his house. Hi. You know, what's for lunch? They'd make a place for me. I would sit at his table and just pepper him with questions about his experience. One at least of which was an experience where he heard the voice of God call him and woke him up. He turned to his wife and said, what do you want? And she goes, huh? Go back to sleep. She goes back to sleep. He hears Frank. He turns, what do you want? And this time she's like, would you stop? And he went, okay. And I think it was the third time. It was like, it was like, Somebody in the Bible, what was his name? Samuel. He got out of bed and said, okay, Lord, what is it? And got on his knees and God had an immediate assignment coming up for him that he was preparing him for. The God that we serve, brothers and sisters, is the living God. You got to stop having him as your extra credit card in your wallet. I've said that before because that's what I think too many of us even in this room, are doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, my parents made me do this. My, you know, my friends pressured me, I, whatever. And so I've got, I've got my little credit card in my wallet so that when I kick, I've got my free pass. But is there any living God engaged with you now? Is he alive? Is it real? See, you can't, you can't order that for people. You can't do it for... None of you can make another person a Christian. Do you get that? You can't do it. God doesn't have any grandchildren. Remember that one? 
He doesn't have grandchildren. He only has real children directly born again by him. That's how you enter into the life of God. All right. So, enough preaching. going to wear you out, right? Jesus is the unique God-man, and this book is completely about what is better. Looking unto Jesus is one of the verses in it, right? We'll talk about some of the potential memory verses. Let me also say as we start a series, if you have questions, I love getting questions. And so, hawkman2 at aol.com, you can write me, call the office, tell Jody, what, excuse me, whatever you have to do, right? Just get it through to me. I should have put my email up there. That guy is amazing. Domo arigato gozaimasu. Thank you so much. That is awesome. Everybody write it down. Oh, leave it up, leave it up. They didn't get it down yet. There you go. You got time till the next verse. Jesus, the only unique God-man, he is better. And what he is and what he brings to the table is better than what we can scrounge up around here. Okay? Definitely better. So what are some of the better things? Those of you who are note-takers, right there, got a whole list. I'm going to go through. Right? And this is going to go quickly. This is not hard. The better things. What are the better things? By the way, what does the word better mean in the Greek when it says these are better? It's the word for greater superior, here's a good one, preferable. It's preferable. More useful, more important. Think about that Ark of the Covenant and how important that whole, what we would call in, in um, theological terms, the Yahweh cult, the worship of Yahweh, the worship of Jehovah. Think of how important that was. What Jesus brings to the table is better more useful, preferable, more important even than that. Better things. What are the betters? 13 times in 13 chapters, the word better is used all through this book. Better, 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 better. Sounds like a butter commercial, doesn't it? Butter, better, 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 better. What are they? One, the S one, status. We're going to see very quickly at the beginning of the book, Jesus has status better than the angels. Think about that. See how we just blow past stuff like that, right? We re- that's, that's why saturating myself in the word is such a good thing. We blow past it. Oh, he has a, a better name, a better status than the angels. Right in the first chapter. We haven't even, I haven't even started my sermon yet. You realize I haven't read the text yet. Just wait. All right. Better than the angels. Think about the angels. There were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. It was South Israel. That's why I have the accent. See, and um, that's true. And that they were in the South and they were keeping watch over their flock by night. And what happened? And the angel of the Lord and they were. Sore afraid, not just afraid, they were sore afraid. You don't, you, you got it? Sore afraid means you do need the restroom nearby. That's the point. Sore afraid. Jesus has better status than the angels. How come they're terrifying and he's like, 
Maybe we're not seeing him the way the Apostle John saw him when he felt like a dead man in front of him. See, it expands our thinking. Who are we dealing with? And that terrifying, if you will, image is balanced by the fact that he extends his hand of friendship to us. It blows our minds if we get it. Second one, covenant. Two times it's a better covenant in the scripture. Covenant. This is the picture of the old covenant, if you will. And this is a promise of a new covenant. This is a better covenant. The old covenant had my laws. In the new covenant, I will write my laws where? In their hearts. Isn't that better? Isn't it better than, oh, let me, where's that book? I got to look up that, what, what page was it? What do I do when somebody cut me off and I have every right to get out and break his headlight? And I, where, where, no, isn't it better to have the Holy Spirit say, cool your jets, bless instead of curse? I'm not going to talk about that too much. I might get convicted. Anyway. Promises, the blessing of the law, or which is a blessing. It was the mark of their covenant relationship with God. Or is it better to walk by faith like Abraham? Yes, it's better. Sacrifices, a better sacrifice, two times. One as sacrifice single, one as sacrifice as plural. A better sacrifice. Jesus fulfills all the Old Testament sacrifices. He's the final sacrifice, right? Amen. No more. That, that theme comes out throughout the book of Hebrews. Final, done, finished, over. Better blood. Jesus' shedding of blood, better than the blood of righteous Abel. Abel was one of, what is he, the first martyr, right? In a way. He, he was accepted by God. His brother hates him for it, kills him. Sheds his blood. I hate to fill you in. Jesus is more righteous than Abel. As amazing as his righteousness was, it pales in comparison with that of Jesus. Better blood. A better country. We're bound for the promised land. Right? It's not across the ocean in the Middle East. That was the promised land, but there's a better, different country, a different promised land for we who believed him. A different possession. Better inheritance. That's the next one. Everybody got all the... Anybody filling in? Did I lose anybody? All right. We're up to S-C-P-S-B-C. Possession. Possession. You know, one of the things that the uh, author of Hebrews is writing to is a bunch of people who, because of their belief in Jesus, were being persecuted. I think it's coming here. To be blunt, I do. But uh, not politics. I'm talking about opposition. But they were losing their possessions. People were ripping them off or destroying their automobiles. I know it was, they, did, they didn't have automobiles, but that's the idea. Somebody set your automobile on fire, you know? Such a statement. You have better possessions. That's the theme of the book. You have better. You have better. There's something better than this. I always think of that great hymn. It's a, it's a missionary hymn. Um, Give of thy sons to spread the message glorious. Publish glad tidings. Anybody remember that? Been around? 
It's in that book right there, I think. Published Glad Tidings, Tidings of Peace, Tidings of Jesus, Redemption and Release. It says in the, one of the verses, Give of your sons to bear the message glorious. Give of your wealth to speed them on their way. Lift up your hearts for them in prayer victorious. Boy, that's old missionary talk, isn't it? And all thou spendest, Jesus will repay. Do you believe that? Yeah. I don't think anything's wasted if I'm serving him. I, I basically, uh, when, I, when I met Jesus as that crazy hippie freak drug user that I was, and the lights came on, I started investing in what he said I was supposed to invest in. I've never looked back and worried about how, how padded the account is. I believe when I get there, I'll find out and I'll be happy. Whether it's a lot or a little, I'll be happy because I'll be in a better possession, in a better homeland, etc., etc., etc. And all that I've spent, Jesus will repay. Publish glad tidings. A better resurrection. What? Wow. That's in there, you know. We're going to see it. A better resurrection. How do you get a better resurrection? That's what it says. What does that mean? I'm going to leave you hanging on that one. Okay. Expectations. In other words, there are better expectations of us, the scripture says. He has, at one point, the writer says, we have, you know, I'm preaching to you a little bit here, but we have better expectations of you. Isn't that true when a person really knows Christ? I've said that before. When I know the spirit of God has worked in a person, I have better expectations. They get off track. They get cranky. They get rebellious. They get themselves in a little trouble. No, I know that the grace of God has worked in that person. I have better expectations. They're coming back. God's going to tackle them. He's going to thump them, get their attention. You know, do one of these. Like parents, right? Listen to me. One of those. If they belong to Jesus, he's going to track them down. I have better expectations. And some of my charismatic brethren, as I've often said, I'm going to call it out of you. Calling you up. Rise up and give Jesus his due. Serve him. Expectations. That was E. F. Fulfillment. 1140, chapter 11, verse 40. The scripture there tells us that all of those saints who went before us, all the amazing stories in chapter 11. Remember, chapter 11 is the faith chapter, all those great accounts. He says, they're incomplete without us. Can you imagine? It ain't done yet until we get gathered in. We do our part. There's still more to happen. Holy history, the last chapter has not been written yet. We get to be part of it. And maybe another generation yet, if Jesus tarries, right? So, fulfillment. By the way, let me, let me put up that verse, the next verse, if I could. This is a, a great text out of the Gospel of John that talks about the whole theme of the book of Hebrews. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean, you know, when you first read it, it says, does that mean the law wasn't true? Or the law isn't grace? No, there's grace in those things, and there's truth in it. Obviously, it's holy, given by God. The law was given through Moses, much of which was a picture of what was to come. Grace and truth were experienced. We laid hold of it 
in the person of Jesus Christ. Everything that Hebrews will be talking about as we wander through, and we'll have to look back into the Old Testament tabernacle and all of that, it's all pointing to him. It's all talking about the better thing that was coming. So, the last word on your list is H, hope. The expectation, the confidence of access with God. Yeah? Hope in the New Testament is not, gee, I hope so. It's tax time, right? I just turned in my taxes. Well, I didn't turn I turned them into somebody who does my taxes, because if I did them, I'd lose more money than I'm already losing. You know what I'm saying. I hope... I get a refund. Pretty weak hope. (laughs) I might get one. Now, if I know for sure my tax guy has figured it out and I see a certain figure, now when I say I hope to get a refund, I'm saying I'm expecting it. That's New Testament hope. I'm expecting. I'm expecting this to happen. This is what we're looking for. We're anticipating. All of this is in Christ and all of it is better. Better to look at That, better to look at him, to meditate on him, to access him, to lay hold of him in a tangible, spiritual, lay hold of way. Consider it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Think of the memory verses that are in this book that speak of that kind of encouragement for us to stop navel-gazing or looking for the wrong better thing. It's okay to want a better job and all those kind of things. But to look at the one who rules all over all of that. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Surrounded by so many witnesses, right? Remember that? Let us run the race before us. Let us draw near with confidence. Since we have a great high priest that's intervened on our behalf, let's get, let's get in there. Draw near with confidence. And Jesus Christ, the same, yesterday, today, and forever talking about his availability, his power, the hope that we can have, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Everybody with me so far? Okay. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to skip the second half of this sermon, so you have to come back next week. Aww. What's that? Great. You like that? Okay, bring it back. Bible teaching, that was the next section. I'm going to just park on one small bullet about it. When we dig into the scripture, one of the jobs that we have is to make sure we get it right, that we understand what is actually being said. So will you see that little C under there? That's talking about context. Looking at, there's rules. Context, and one of the big ones that I'm not going to touch on today, but scripture interprets scripture. That's how you stay safe. So you don't come up with weird ideas that weren't meant in the word. So when it comes to context, if you look at what came before and what came after and who the writer is and who he's writing to, all of those things are the context that helps you understand better what is being said. Like I stand at the door and knock. That's the classic one. We always think, oh, that's about accepting Jesus. No, it's about the church getting right with God. That's what it's about. The context will tell you that. Why I want to encourage you with that is there's kind of a little story that I've heard of a guy that was a new Christian. He was kind of lazy in his spiritual disciplines. He didn't, you know, didn't read a lot, didn't pray a lot. One day he got into some trouble and he knew he needed God to help him. So he started praying real hard. I really need something. And he had one of those little, he had a little Bible. And so he just took it and started doing this. And he'd look and read the verse. 
and said, God, guide me. You know, it's kind of like gambling, if you will. <laughs> so he opened the Bible and he went like that. And the first verse was Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And he went, well, I don't know what to do yet, so help me again, Lord. And he opened it up and went, boom. And this time it fell on Matthew 18.8. If your hand or your foot offend you, then cut it off. <laughs> and he went, oh, no, 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 that's not very encouraging. That's not helping me. And so he did it again. And Lord, this has got to be the one. And when he opened his eyes, it was Luke 10.17. Jesus said, go and do the same. <laughs> you don't want to read the scripture that way. You want to know what it's actually saying. Yes, he does. Just look at us. That'll prove it. So we have some verses we'll unpack later, but here's the point. God has spoken to us in his son. This whole book is pushing us to look at this savior that maybe we've started to take for granted or forgotten about or neglected. To look at him afresh. It's so critical that we have the hope of his help in our life. Warren Wearsby, some of you have heard of him. He's a good preacher. I think you might have given me this. I don't know. Because you have a lot of his, right? Mr. Uh, uh, Reverend Bozick. Oh, here, one of our elders. The introduction to uh, his book on Hebrews, Be Confident, Live by Faith, Not by Sight, Warren Wearsby. Ken Baugh writes in the front. Let me just read this opening. Dr. Frick, Victor Frankl was an Austrian psychiatrist who lived as a prisoner in Auschwitz and, and, and other concentration camps during World War II. Frankl experienced unimaginable horror during his years of captivity, yet during that time he was able to discern the reasons why some people survived the camps while others did not. So he wrote in Search for Meaning this, for the prisoner who had lost faith in the future, his future was doomed. His loss, with his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and become subject to mental and physical decay. The only chance people had of making it in the camps was their ability to focus on some future goal. It had nothing to do with who was the healthiest or the strongest, but who had, who had someone waiting back home for them or who had some vocational goal they dreamed of realizing one day. Isn't that interesting? Ken Baugh goes on and says, Surprises me that hope helped people survive the concentration camps. One would think it would be something more tangible, like good health, food, warm clothing, and shelter. But, as Frankel discovered, it was the power of hope. And that book of Hebrews is all about hope. There's a better tomorrow. There's a better Savior. There's a better future. There's a better sovereignty. There's something else yet. Don't give up yet. I remember I, I have a, a dark story from, from my own life, but I don't want to tell it right now. But I think of the times when it has been dark. It just looks like this is the end. We're not going to go any further. I was... The first time I was unemployed in ministry. <laughs> There's been several. 
Because God always put me on this wonderful holding pattern until the next thing opened up. And I was like, I just love the way you do this, Lord. It's so warm and fuzzy. Not. The first time, we left our assembly. We fellowshiped with another assembly. My wife ended up expecting. We had no insurance. I had no income. I'm making a mortgage payment every month. We lived like that for 11 months. Don't ask me how we survived. I don't know. I know some of what happened, but it was without a doubt the finger of God intervening with better things. And I remember as we were in that darkness, an elder in the assembly of that church, one of the godliest brothers I remember, lay elder, serving the Lord, pulled us aside and said, Just when it looks the worst, that's when you need to look up and see Jesus walking on the water, coming toward you. And he proves it over and over. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, blessed Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to... Trust him more. I was thinking as we were preparing these series uh, about some of the great hymns, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Everybody knows that, right? Great is Thy Faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with you. You change not. Your compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Has he proven that to you? Have you let him? Have you tried him? Test me and see if I'm not who I claim to be. But I'd like you to sing with me the last song, the last verse of, of uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness, because it speaks to this very truth. Right? Pardon for sin. Ready? Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow blessings all mine with ten thousand besides sing it out great is thy faithfulness Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto All of God's people said, Lord, if it isn't true or if we're in one of those phases where we're not feeling it, breakthrough. At least give us the grace to lift our eyes and see how far out on the water you are. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray for you to build up the faith of your most holy saints. Let them see you, Jesus, as you are perhaps more fully than they ever have. For those who are sitting saying, what are these people talking about? We would love to see that person 
respond to who you are. Lord, woo them. Speak into their lives that they need a relationship, not a religion. They need a relationship with you that is alive, that works, so that they can also sing, great is your faithfulness. Lord, help us today, we pray. We commend ourselves to your grace. In the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen and amen.